<laughs> Maybe somebody in the front row, row was complaining about the splash zone or something. I'm, I'm going to move up a little bit. This feels a little too far away. Is my angle bad back here? Done? It's all about the angle. Do I? Yeah. All right, one more. Yeah. Better? Okay. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and start. I hope the stream is up because we are running behind. We're good? Okay. Okay. We're going to go ahead and start for tonight. Um, remember, we're in Romans. We've done one and two. Um, so we're in three tonight. I think it's a. Uh, tonight is going to be good. It's going to um, have echoes of what we've been talking about with the difficulties of these people that they're having coming together. Um, not being segregated as the world was accustomed to at the time, but also it's going to switch into something that's. Um, Really, I think a little bit more applicable, not that racism or um, thinking you're better than somebody because of where you came from or your education or your background is not prevalent today. Uh, it certainly is. But I think that there's some real spiritual application um, coming in chapter three. So before we start, um, does anybody have any prayer requests that are not up there already? Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, probably keep Jay. Jay? What's your last name? Willa. Jay Willa. Willis. Okay. Just. I. Just right to say, but I think she's she's maybe looking at a major medical situation. Okay. <clears throat> Anybody else? Well, just to follow up on Amy, we had surgery on Monday. Monday was rough, really rough. Um, seemed like the pain medicine they gave her wasn't working very well, and um, anesthesia and the cocktail of drugs that she was on, she had a really hard time when coming down off of them. And then she had a really hard time last night, I think, as uh, they were finally actually getting out of her body. Um, so we've been laying low, I'm resting, doing my best to take care of her. And it's weird though, because she's had times where it's like, you wouldn't even know she had surgery. And then times where it's pretty obvious she just had surgery. So some, day, some parts of the day are really good and easy for her and other parts have been difficult. Um, all right, well then let's pray. Father God, we come before you tonight, and, and Lord, we're just grateful for our time together. We're thankful for the love that we share with one another, the love that we have for you, the love that we have for your word, the way it guides us, the way it leads us, the way it helps us discern this world that we live in, the uh, eternal attribute that it has, because it's written and, and um, authored by you through the Holy Spirit, God, the, the truth that it will always be in it. And the way it reveals the world, even in letters written close to 2,000 years ago, 
how they're still applicable, applicable today, how we can still use them to see kind of what um, the way the world, the way Satan himself even is, is trying to fool us and, 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 and lead the cultures of the world away from you. God, we just want to be your people. We want to do your will. Father, and we want to bring as many to the kingdom as we possibly can in our lifetime. So we pray for your guidance. We pray for your, uh, your light in this dark world. And we pray that you guide us as we discuss Romans 3 tonight. Father, we also um, have many we're thinking about. Um, Jay, Dennis, um, Lloyd and Pat. Father, for the surgeries that they're all going through, for the information that um, was received and is going to be acted upon. God, it's all... Um, difficult. It all takes a toll on the body. It all can even be scary and anxious um, as we go through these things, Father. So I just pray for your, your peace upon each of them. I pray for uh, your healing hand and your guidance on the, the doctors as they um, try to fix and, and even ease pain for and, and comfort for each, each of these people. And Father, I also I just, want to, I just want to say thank you, God, just for even listening. We know you always listen. We know you're doing everything in your power, everything to, to, to work for the good of those of, who love you. So, Father, be with our people um, as they go through these surgeries and these difficult times, Father, and, and whatever um, we can do to help Make it known to us. Sometimes we have the energy and the availability, but we don't have, we don't, we don't know where to help. So Father, just make it known to us so we can. We thank you so much for Jesus, for the love that he showed us all on the cross, for the forgiveness of sins that we could not defeat on our own, and for the unity that we received back with you becoming your children and the hope of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we're in the book of Romans. Anybody um, want to help me recap a little bit Romans 1? Is there anything we specifically remember from Romans 1? What about Gentiles? Uh, Gentiles who... Uh, Picked up the ways of the world and sinned against God. Yeah. Gentiles. Really, to me, um, more specifically even, not just specifically Gentiles, but just the way of the world, the culture of the world, and how everybody was, was led astray um, by the world, by Satan. All right. Anybody else? So one of the things I want you to remember as a recap from chapter one was that God was telling you, really, there is... There is all these ways the world divide us. There's all these segregations, if you will. And again, at this time, that was very normal. Even amongst your house, that would have been normal. Man would have been even above woman. And, and man and, and, and woman would have been above children, which probably is still more the case than maybe um, this big discrepancy between man and woman. But 
not just at your house, but in your culture, in the way your culture as a whole looked at the other cultures of the world. This was a normal thing. And God is saying, really, there's, there's really only two paths anymore. Right? Jesus said that himself, didn't he? There's really only two paths anymore. There's the way to eternal life and there's the way to destruction. And he's kind of bringing that all together. There's all these ways we segregate. There's all these ways we divide up the world. There's all these ways we find differences in each other. He says there's really only two ways. And it's really all revolves around are you for God or are you against God? Are you following God or are you following yourself? Are you following um, the teachings of the word of God or are you following the ways of the world? That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. For it's the hope, it's salvation, it's the power that connects us, despite all of our faults and failures, back to God. I'm not ashamed of it. The whole world can be against it. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. And trust me, most of the time, Paul's experience, he doesn't walk into a crowd that's happy to see him. So he lives this every single day. All right, what about chapter two last week? Remember anything? What about the Jews, Mike? <laughs> they weren't doing too good. They weren't. Are you tiptoeing? Are you tiptoeing right now on me? I was hoping Gary would be here because I felt like he had the comment of the uh, night last week um, when we got to that part about circumcision and, and the, the really getting into the legality of circumcision under the New Testament and this new covenant with God. And he said it seemed like they went through a lot for nothing. Remember that? That was probably my favorite comment of the night. No offense to everybody else who made great comments. Um, because, what? Chuck yes. Probably. He's really great at one word answers with me sometimes. When he wants to see me stir, he likes to just give me one word answers. Um, so, really that's kind of where we pick, off, pick up in chapter 3. part where it says trouble and distress for all who do sin. Who yeah. sin? He's actually going to, we'll get back to that because he's going he's gonna to reach that a little bit pretty closely in chapter 3. So that's what I want you to think of because that's kind of where we're going to. And again, remember the reason why he's focusing on circumcision is because that's what the Jews were focusing on and that's how they were alienating the Gentiles or making themselves like one up like you you really can you can you can come but you, you really can't ever be us all right um and don't forget even paul when he was making his distinction about himself he made sure you understood that he got circumcised exactly when he was supposed to it was a big deal seems silly to us now but it was a big deal then all right so Romans chapter 3 we're still in this discussion. We're still thinking about unity. We're still thinking about the, the struggles that they had because of the way the world was segregated. Um, but we're going to move into something a little different, too. He's going to bring in the next part of the argument. So let's go ahead and get into that. And this is why I wish Gary was here, because this is the answer to the question. It seems like they went through a whole lot for nothing. And maybe that's exactly, if you were a Jew reading this 
in this moment, maybe that's exactly how you would feel. And that's why in chapter three, he starts out by saying, then what advantage has the Jew? Like you just told us everything we've been doing, everything, all the sacrifices we've made, all the things we've been doing up to this point, they're really, they really weren't for, they don't, they don't make us any better. They don't, they don't really do much of anything for us. So then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Exactly, exactly where we were. And then verse two, he says something that might surprise you. He says, much, much in every way. Now that, to the reader who's read chapter one and chapter two, probably feels like the surprise of all surprises. Because for the whole first and second chapter, he's been making the argument that there really is no distinction and that there really is nothing special, that we're all part of God's family now. There's no longer Jew nor Greek. He's been making that argument. Um, so he says, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. He said, you all had God's word. And you were entrusted with God's word. So what if some were unfaithful? Does this faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? So let's unpack that before we get going because he actually brings a whole lot of the meat, I think, of the, of the discussion right here in these first couple of verses. First of all, were the Jews entrusted with the oracles of God? They were. Did they do a good job? Sometimes, yes, sometimes, no. They're that's right, Carl, they did. They preserved it well. They were very good historians. Right, that's why we still have it. Don't forget that what you have was attacked more than any other literature ever written. It should not be here. But they were devout in copying it, in preserving it, in saving it for generation to generation to generation. And we even know that they were very good about that before they started writing it down orally. So that was a huge thing that the Jews did that, that was part of them being the people of God, what they were called to do. One of the things they actually did well. Now getting back to, I think, really where Chuck was going, were some unfaithful? Yeah. Was it fair to say most probably were unfaithful? He's going to say all. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a cycle. It was. And, and it didn't change. It was still a cycle. You know, yeah. It came close, then they came. But you could see even Jesus' time. There's a large segment that wasn't faithful. Yeah. They were faithful to themselves. But there was the, those that were faithful. You know, and it was a large group that said, we understand the truth. So it, it set the stage, so to speak, for Jesus to come. Because if they were looking for it, they could see all the prophecy fulfilled. The things that were told about God, Jesus exemplified. And so from that standpoint, they were successful. They were. Um, the thing about it is, is they didn't deserve it. And they thought, well, he gave it to us because we deserve it. It's yeah. like, no, you didn't. He gave it to you because he decided to give it to you. It didn't have anything to do with what you, what you deserved at all. And that was their problem. Yeah, you're right, Dave. And really, when you think about how it worked during this time and even going forward and what you've learned through the history, 
this is like a bloodline idea. This is like being born into the right family. This is like all of a sudden because of who my parents were, I'm actually better than you. So it, even then you can see through history, this is something that people have always kind of thought. It's not the Jews only were this way. This, this is the way people were in general. Go ahead, Chuck. The caste system. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They stayed royalty. They married even royalty. And unless you were of certain bloodlines, there was a certain point you couldn't get past. You were never going to get past, no matter how good you were, how smart you were, how much talent you had. That's the way it was. That's the way it was. And that is an important part to bring into this because that is, I think, really where the Jews are struggling the most with this idea all of a sudden that everybody's just invited in. And oh, by the way, even those ways that people could um, be converted in the Old Testament, which, trust me, involved, if you were a man and you converted to Judaism in the, under the old law, you were circumcised. It didn't matter your age. It was something you had to do. But even then, after you were circumcised, you actually never got full privilege. The Jews were always different. And they, I, I really think at this point, especially they've come to a place where they think it's literally in their blood that makes them special. It's who they are. It's who their parents were. And if you look in the uh, uh, Old Testament and even in the New Testament, you will find that they were really good about telling you. And this person was this person's parents and this person. And they were great about genealogies because it meant something. And some did. Jesus' genealogy meant something, right? When they, when they would stand in Jerusalem and they had to have somebody take care of the Hellenistic Jews because the ones of Jerusalem weren't taken care of because those were not real Jews. That's right. That's right. They were not really like us. Yeah. And this is the issue. So he's pointing this out right away because now he's going to really get to the meat. This is the meat. Let, let's start with this before we even get there. Let's start with it. Who's the most important person in Jesus' bloodline? David. Why do you say David? Well, I say David because that was the source. David was the source to the children of Israel. He was uh, the king of kings as far as they were concerned. Yeah. Well, he, 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 was, was, he, he was the tie-in yeah. or the connection point between the Jews, where they were, where they are, and where they're going. Yeah, and he's the one who God promised the Messiah would be through his bloodline, specifically. So, go ahead, Chuck. Abraham as well. He got the promise first. Yeah, you're right. Abraham. All right, so let's use those two, because those were the two I actually expected to be thrown out there pretty quickly. Well, don't be throwing wrenches. Don't be throwing wrenches right now. Adam, you can. That's not gonna help me with where I'm going though, right there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so let's go with this though, real quick. Let's talk about David. Let's talk about Abram. Why did God choose those people? Was it their bloodline? Yeah, it was definitely their heart. Where did Abraham come from? Yeah. Do you know what, you know what the Chaldeans were famous for during 
or roughly around the time of Abraham? That was the people who were united under Nimrod. They built the Tower of Babel. So he didn't pick them because, oh, you're from these people. You're special. I'm going to pull you out of the special group. He picked them because he was faithful despite what everybody else was doing. He's, he answered the call and went wandering away from everything he knew. What about David? David come from a royal bloodline? Did he? What was he at first? Are shepherds usually kings? Is that usually what a royal position gets you? Hey, you were just born to the king. You know where you're going? The stables. Doesn't sound very royal to me. Man, sure. But it's also his family were shepherds. Again, I'm just making the simple point that they missed. And it's the point that Paul's going to make here in a minute. So I'm, gonna jump, I'm just jumping ahead a little bit, but I want you to see it. It was really never about the person's bloodline. It was never about where they came from or whose parents they were the child of. Or it was never about any of that. It was about that person's faith to God. That's where it all came from. That's what separates David. That's what separates Abraham. And uh, he looked at the first king, Saul, and compared it to, to David. Yes. You know, one was uh, tall and the uh, statue was, was looked highly by men, while the other one was the least of his family. So now let's get to this next part. <coughs> Excuse me. We've been dealing with a little uh, allergies this time of season. <coughs> so let's answer that last sentence because you should already know this answer. And we just discussed it not very long ago. Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? No. Why? It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that they were faithless. It's not God's fault that they, they were faithless. Right. Okay, that's true. Why else? God's promise is not going to change despite your faith or your faithlessness. Because he has to be faithful to what, ultimately? Himself, yeah, to himself and his word. If he said it, he's going to do it. <clears throat> now, does he hope for all to get to heaven? He does. He's patient, his forbearance, hopes for all to get to heaven. Will all get to heaven? No. But he's still going to be faithful to his word. So, you beat Paul to it. He says, by no means, of course not. Of course not. Of course God is going to be faithful to his word. Let God be true through everyone, though everyone uh, were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. 
When you are judged, let's get a little deeper into this before we stop. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? I want you to, I want you to think about what he's saying right here. He's saying our righteousness serves to show, our unrighteousness serves to show the, uh, the righteousness of God. This is one argument that's being made. What shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? So if our unrighteousness serves to show God's righteousness, right? We are unfaithful. God remains faithful. It shows how good, how kind, how loving, how forgiving, how merciful, how godly he really is. We are not good to him at times. He's always good to us. It show, that does show his righteousness, doesn't it? That does show his goodness. Go ahead. I'm going to use you. Okay. Uh, Sue says something, and I sit there and say the opposite. And she says, well, you shouldn't say that. If you hadn't said that, I won't have to say this. <laughs> and then I say, well, if you hadn't said that, then I won't have to say this. And it just keeps on building. But the Jews did that a lot when it came to God. They sat there and said, it really is his fault. If it hadn't made it so hard, we could have done it. Well, I mean, I will say that there's, there is, um, there is, let me say this the right way, there is some truth to that. If you're trying to be saved by the law, you can't because it is the perfection, it's the standard of God and we can't live up to that. So there is some, there is some truth to the fact that if you try to imitate God, no matter how hard you try, you are feeble. You that's, that's right, which we're going to get to. So he says that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. This kind of reminds me of what Job said, you remember? Where he says, oh, oh, okay, so we're supposed to be pumped and excited when, when God blesses us, but the second we start dealing with hardship and suffering, we're supposed to get mad at God, just forget everything else he's ever done for us? I still find that to be one of the most amazing statements considering everything. Everything that he loses, everything he goes through. I mean, probably the biggest, um, probably one of the biggest trials anybody's ever went through in their life. He says, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? So when God judges the world, we read some of that in Revelation. Remember that? We're going through New Testament church. Is that, um, would you say wrath's going to be involved? Yeah, I would say so. Trampled in the winepress of God, yeah, that's probably wrath. Yeah. When, when the, the imagery that is given is death, destruction, and animals are coming to clean it up, that's pretty scary imagery. And he says that when, when you're going through these tough times, understand too that God's wrath is going to be taken out. God's wrath is going to happen on this world because of the unfaithfulness of mankind. There's a reality to that. It's not something we like to talk about because we like to think about the gracious, merciful, caring, loving, kind, compassionate. It's true. That's, that is God. That is God. But think about it from a parental aspect, because I think it's really important 
to think about this. Do you love your children? I hope so. I do. I absolutely love my children. And you know what the worst part is? They take advantage of my love. They do. They see how far they can push. Every single time they see how far they can push. And they're constantly measuring how far they can push before I react. You know what I don't really want to do? Yeah, I don't want to react. I don't really want to give them the wrath of Matt. But every now and then, because I love them and I'm their father, and I'm going to make sure I correct the, the problems that I see stemming from their behavior, they're going to get the wrath of Matt. And I'm going to put the fear of the Lord in them. It's not out of anger. In all honesty, I hate doing it. I do. I will say, though, my dad used to tell me all the time it hurt him more than it hurt me. I don't think that's probably true. I don't think, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't like doing it. I, I take, I take no joy in it. But I'm going to correct it. And you know, sometimes what we learn with Job is sometimes God's, God, you're experiencing something. It's really not your fault. It's not because you did something wrong. It's because of the world you live in. It's just the reality. So I want to make that real clear because he's not, he, it's, it's almost like, oh, well, and it's like what Mike said, oh, well, the standard was set super high. So you'd have to need him. Because if we could be just like him, then there would, what would be the point in needing him? That's, that's not true. The standard set high because God is so far above our way, so far above who we are, that his normal standard is extremely high for us. Go ahead, Mark. Um, I played baseball, so I'll, I'll use that. I know you were in soccer. I don't know beans about that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a time when I was playing left field, and they put a coach out there with me because I wasn't prepared to catch a long drive. Mm -hmm. It was a little thing that says, this is what's right. Now what you were doing is wrong. So you're going to be better off if you do what's right. I think the law is just, this is what's right. Yeah. And you get to see what you're doing wrong. Yeah. And give you a chance to correct it. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. It, it's a teacher. It's a coach. Um, let's verse seven. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Oof. Oof. And why not do evil that good may come? And then I want you to see what He says afterwards, because. He's actually making a legitimate argument, but now he's also bringing in the, it goes how people take it further. Okay? How people take it further. As some people slanderously charge us with saying. So he's saying this argument, when it gets to here, people are saying, this is what we're teaching. This is what we're telling everybody. He's saying, no, no, no. That's not what we're saying. 
We're not saying that through my lie, God's truth can abound. Why not just go and live however you want and by the grace of God, when I get to heaven, everybody's going to know it wasn't because of me because I was just doing whatever I wanted to do. I was living however I wanted to live. He says, no. And then then verse 8, I think, is really important because, you know, for me at least, this is one of those scriptures that sounds um, eerily similar to things that were said by um, um, some of even our founding fathers of this country. He says, and why not do evil that good may come? Like if, evil's always going to be there. It takes a lot to actually make good come. If you just participate in evil and and never be the example of good, is good ever really going to come? I mean, think about it. Because this is the argument they're trying to make. If you've ever been um, stuck in sin, maybe a specific type of sin, and it's eating you up, or maybe it's not eating you up. Maybe, maybe you've come to this rationale too, where you just say, it's just who I am. It's just the way, you know, if God really cared about this specific sin in my life, he wouldn't have made me this way and I wouldn't struggle with it. But hey, maybe you'll even quote, you know, my power is made perfect in weakness and this is just my thorn in the flesh. This is just who I am. That's how they would misquote Paul. That's what, they're, that's what he's saying right here. He's saying, look, if you're, if you're trying to use grace, if you're trying to use this, this idea that the law doesn't have the same power you thought it did to make an excuse that you can live however you want, do whatever you want, and not try to overcome the things that are hard for you, it's like you're twisting my words. Anybody got anything to want to say that? Sometimes the, <clears throat> the gospel, and you know, I think this kind of goes back to chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah. You know, the gospel is so good that it can be easily misconstrued by somebody that doesn't, that's not ready to receive it. Yeah. It's, you mean all, all of my sins? Can yeah. we forget? Even the ones I'm going to do tomorrow? What? Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. And then if you're not careful, your actions really become meaningless because you've already received the grace of God. So therefore, go and do whatever you want and live however you want. And I got news for you. That's exactly what got the Israelites in trouble. That's exactly what got the Jews in trouble. They came and God put them in a place to be different than everything that was surrounded by them. And instead, they were absorbed by everything that was surrounded by them. You know, God is good to us. He is. Uh, He sent his son to, to die for us. So he is very, very good. He's better to us than than we are to ourselves. But you know, you, you, you think of Proverbs a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a good part of it, but you know, it says this, there's six things that God hates, and the seventh one is detestable to him. And you, you know, a haughty eyes, a lying tongue, a 
someone that spilled innocent blood, or, and, and on and on and on, uh, to division among the brothers. But what I'm saying is, this is me. Now, I'm not putting that on anybody else. If God hates those things, guess what? I hate them too. Mm -hmm. that's, and that's, that's, to me, that's, that's simple. Uh, I don't have to try to justify it. God already did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think that, um, in all honesty, we've, we have to be prepared for the fact that we're not going to be like the world. We do. We have to be prepared for that. I think more so now. And, you know, I think part of, um, part of what we're all doing here, at least what we should be all doing here every, every single week, is trying to discern the time that we live in and, you know, what God is trying to do through us here collectively, but also each of us individually in our present time. And the scripture speaks to all time. I think that's part of what we try to do here. I know with me as a, as a, as a preacher, one of, that's one of the things. I'm, I'm not just randomly picking stuff. I didn't randomly pick Romans. I knew what Romans chapter 1 was going to say. Okay? We didn't discuss that part as much. But I knew what it was going to say. And what I'm, what I'm saying is, is, what William's saying is true. And you know, some of those things, go look at that list yet again. Go look at that list and see the things that we are talking about in our culture right here in America. Go see it. Go look at that list and see some of the things that we're talking about right now. And we're dividing over and fighting over politically, religiously, really in every way they can get us to divide. Go see it. Some of those things that we're talking about right now, they're on that list. I promise you they're on that list. So I think we do have to be prepared. And we can't just live however we want. And God is not glorified through our lives, really no matter. God is going to receive, God is glory. And God is gonna receive glory from the saints, but God is not always glorified in my life. Not every choice I make brings glory to him. And I, I, I do think we have, to, we have to be prepared to separate ourselves from the world. Now, I think it's going to get there as well. Verse um, 9. Sue, do you want to say something before we moved on? In, in terms of the, the more evil we are, the more dark we are. Yeah. The brighter it makes God appear. And that was their argument. Yeah. You know, if I'm, if I'm really bad here, it's going to God to appear that much brighter. Yeah. Glorious. Yeah. And I gotta say, that is a, um, God doesn't need any help with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know that's not what you're saying, um, but that you're saying that's what kind of the thought behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Because, what, when does, what does God need help to separate himself from us? Who, who needs to help God with that? Nobody. And it really doesn't matter how bad I am. Am I ever going to be as bad as Satan? Probably not. Probably not. He doesn't need any help. So all the parts are already there. So 
again, going, going back to that argument, we do have to be different. Now, let's, let's get a little bit further down or we're never going to finish tonight. Uh, what then are the Jews? What then? Are the Jews any better off? Are they any better off? No. Do they have a special place? Yeah. They, got the, they were in charge of carrying the oracles of God. Don't forget that. They have a special place. That's why when Jesus comes, who did it come to first? To the Jews. They have a special place. There's, there's no doubt about that. But to say that, that um, because they're Jews, they're going to automatically get in or they're better than everybody else as they come to church. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. That is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And then he goes on this little, um, um, really it's a bunch of scripture, but he, go, he goes on this little list, I, I, is how I want you to look at it. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Is he saying no one at all? No one ever does this ever in their life? Are you seeking for God? Are you trying to gain understanding from his word right now in your life? So he's obviously not saying no one ever. But I think there are even, if, if you will, times in our lives where that's not what we're about. And everybody's had those times in their lives. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Because if I'm guilty of one sin, if I'm guilty of part of the law, I'm guilty of all of the law. And now the law cannot save me. Just, just hear me out for a minute. No one does good, not even one. You know, I can't remember exactly where it is. I want to say Isaiah, but I know I'm going to be wrong because book, chapter, verse is just not my thing. But I know for a fact, one of the prophets, he compares our righteous deeds to filthy rags. And if you look up the word filthy rags in the original language, sorry, fellas, but it means the menstrual rags. That's what it means. It means during that time, those rags, your most righteous acts are like menstrual rags to God. That's why he can say no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their, uh, under the, their lips. See how a lot of that's all coming from, from the mouth. Their throat is like a place for the dead. Their tongues they use to deceive with their words and their lips are like venom. It's poison. It's leading you the wrong way. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. We've talked about bitterness extensively recently and how it can lead a bunch of people to sin. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see that coming back too. There's no fear of God. They do whatever they want. They say whatever they want. They act however they want. What is this? What is this list? What is it describing? Is it describing a group of people? Yeah. You know what it's describing? It's describing the way of the world. Remember how we started. There's two ways. There's two ways. There's God's way, and there's the way of the world. There's the way to eternity, and there's the way to destruction. Describe them two ways. William, you want to say something? Oh, just as you were describing, I, I, I thought about the days of Noah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was, that was uh, the pretty, pretty much the scene of that day prior to the flood. And, 
And I think uh, Chuck White, I, and I think he said this, it, 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 it was more than one word, so I think he did say it. Uh, I think Chuck was talking about how the, how the people of that day, they're with God and then they're not with God, and yes. it, it, it cycles. So uh, that's, that all was a part of it. Even the days of Jesus, people looked to, towards their own wisdom rather than God's wisdom. And they were doing everything they could to whatever was the providence of God, which Jesus was, they was trying to make sure that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's the way of the world. The way of the world. Don't be fooled by it. You know, I love when it says the way of peace, said Because look at our history. Where are all the great cities of 2,000 years ago? Yeah, they're in ruins. Mostly due to what? Mostly due to war and destruction. That's what it is. It, it's, this is the way of the world. It promises you all this satisfaction, but where is it really leading you to? And look at it from a spiritual perspective too. You know, get back to that point where it starts at the mouth. It comes from seeking God, but then it starts at the mouth. What was Satan? What was his mouth famous for being? How about the father of lies, the author of lies? When he speaks lies, he speaks in his native tongue. Right? It's the way of the world. As the, the, the father, the head of your family, you teach your kids. I know one of the things that I taught my kids very young is uh, things that happen good for you is not just you, but God is blessing you. Absolutely. And uh, you gotta keep God in that conversation or they might get the big head and think there's something great. That's right, they get puffed up, which is, he's, that's exactly where he's going. Romans 3, 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Both those laws were supposed to be in blue. Okay, the other ones are. All right. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what is he saying about the law? First thing he's saying is you can't be justified by it. Why? Because you can't live up to its standard. Why? Because you are what you are and it taught you one word, three letters. Give it to me, Chuck. Sin. It taught you sin. <laughs> it taught you sin. And here's the reality. God is giving you his standard. So he's showing you what he approves of, right? But it also shows you what he doesn't. And un unfortunately for all of us in this room, because everybody's there, or Paul's a liar, and so is God for that matter, and all of the Bible. Unfortunately for all of us, we saw some of that that God didn't like, and we decided, at least for that time, we liked it. And we did it. That's why no one can be justified by the law. Not because the law is flawed, not because the law was written in a way that we couldn't live up to it. And I, Again, I don't want y'all to think I think you were trying to say that. Um, but 
it's very relevant to the conversation. That's why I keep bringing it up. Not because of that. It's because of us. It's because of what we did with it. It's because of the way of the world. It's because Satan twists it. Even sometimes in our own minds. Even the most faithful of us. So, even though the law was a great teacher, it was a great teacher of God's righteousness, but also a great teacher of one word, three letters. Sin. It was. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It's been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Who's that? It's Jesus, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Why? Yeah, verse 23, because you, despite who you are and all the distinctions we make, at the end of the day, we're all just, that's it. We're all just sinners. And to me, this is the, this is, this is the best part of Romans chapter 3. If you've never heard me read this scripture, you've probably haven't heard me preach more than 10 times. And I'm serious. There are certain scriptures that I'm stuck on because I think they absolutely nail God's message to the wall, if you will. And this is one of those moments. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Why? Because you couldn't earn it. There's nothing special about you. There's nothing that makes you deserve it more than somebody else. Nope, actually, quite the opposite. None of us do deserve it because of our sin. Therefore, it's a gift. God's grace is a gift not to be played with. Not to be used and abused. Not to constantly push the limits. See how far I can push it this time before I get in trouble. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And by the way, in Christ Jesus alone. Let's just make that clear as day. The Bible says it clearer than that in other places. But let's just make that clear right now. Jesus alone. Without the blood of Christ, we're all mess. We're all in trouble because we're all still full of sin. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. He brings us back together by his blood, by that sacrifice, to be received by faith. So if you have no belief, you can do all the right things. Who did that? Who did that? Who was the person or people that, at least on the outside, presented themselves in a way that they did everything right? They were always right, but on the inside, they didn't have the relationship there. But that was what was missing. Who was that? The Jews. Specifically, who did Jesus call out? What group of the Jews? The Pharisees. He called out just like that. Whoa, Pharisees. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're full of death in there. But you look real pretty on the outside. That's right. Okay? And faith's what makes the difference. Faith's what makes the difference. Don't, don't, don't miss that. This is how, this was to show God's righteousness. Remember? We're, if, if we live bad enough, right? That'll show God's righteousness. No, no, no. This 
The gospel of Christ is what shows God's righteousness. Right? Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Why? Why do you have to pass over those former sins? Don't miss this. What are we even talking about? What was supposed to be blue on this slide? Law. The law couldn't save them. The law couldn't save them. So God passed over those former sins. And when were those sins actually forgiven? While they were in front of the um, of altars sacrificing the bulls and the goats and, 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 the, and the doves if they're poor and all. Like, is that, when they, is that when he saved them? At the cross. It, for everybody. New, old, in my opinion, before the flood, even at the cross. At the cross. That's why he has, you, you want to talk about patience? You ever lose patience for this world in the time that you live in? Like, how can we be so stupid? How can we miss the point so bad? How can we get so far off from what's the truth and what is good and what is right? How can we be so foolish? And when I say foolish, you know what I mean, Chuck. What's the fool say? That's right. How can we get there? You ever lose patience? God's watched this for generation after generation after generation after generation. That's divine forbearance. That's it. You ever lose hope in somebody you've loved or had a relationship with? Don't do it. God doesn't lose hope. God keeps going. Despite what we've shown him over and over and over again. All right. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Because they were right there at that time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Then what becomes of our boasting? Nothing. Why? Because it's all about him. It is. It's all about him. You're an elder. See a few of you. It's all about God. God got you there. You didn't get there on your own. He got you there. He's working through you now. You're a preacher, minister. What about you? God got you there. He's working through you now. And by the way, Preachers and elders, and I speak to myself in this way. God's still got a lot of work to do in us and through us. And that goes for everybody else, too. Picking on, I'm picking on our leaders, but that goes through for everybody else, too. So what becomes of your boasting? Nothing. That's why I can't think more highly than my of myself than my brother or sister in Christ, even the ones that just got baptized. That's why really I don't think of myself more highly than even the world. Because you know what? Once I was there. And I know what it's like to struggle before I come to God's word. I know what it's like to have to go out and try things before I realize, wow, you know what? God's right. I know what that's like. So he says this. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is Excluded. It's gone. It's gone. 
So if I boast, what do I boast in? Yeah. Who said that? No, no. I mean, who said that in Scripture? Paul. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. By the law of faith. It's not a list of rules anymore. It's not a, 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 a and I say this um, with all sincerity, not any malice at all, but it's not a five-step procedure. It's not a list of things anymore. It is a person that is doing everything they can to follow Christ, and that faith will lead them to the works they are supposed to do in the name of Jesus Christ for His will and His glory. That's what it's about. That's the law of faith. It's not faith alone. But it is the law of faith. Verse 28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But one, I will say this too, I just want to add this for Paul, but not justified by faith alone. Because faith without works is dead. Verse 29, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Because what was the law teaching us? Sin. And what was sin making us unable to do? Keep the law, which meant what? There had to be another solution, which was Jesus Christ. See that? On the contrary, we uphold the law. Law's not going to save you. Christ's going to save you. Law's not going to change you. Christ is going to change you. The Holy Spirit's going to work in you to align you with God. And as we do that, God's going to put works in front of us. Good works that we will fulfill sometimes on, on our own, sometimes together for His will and for His glory. And why do I keep emphasizing this? Because if we do it, we will prosper. As a church, we will prosper. Even if we don't grow another person, we will grow in the Lord together. And we will be stronger for it. And you know what? Our influence will grow in this community as well. Because as we become more like Christ, people are going to notice and people are going to look up to it. Because at the end of the day, Christ is the truth. Anybody got anything else they want to say? I'm sorry, I had to rush through that at the end. We, were, we weren't going to finish. Everybody good? Say anything that bothered anybody? Go ahead, speak it. I'm a big boy, I can handle it. No? All right then. Thanks for coming tonight, even in the rain, you're troopers.